I'm going to watch the games whenever I want and I'm going to get a, the best value hotel to almost any destination in the world. Businesses grow too fast, too quickly, generally crash for a reason because there isn't a solid foundation. But one of the things we've certainly had to struggle with post-opening is we've seen our demographics change. Welcome to Add to Cart, Australia's leading e-commerce podcast that express delivers all you need to know in the fast-moving world of online retail. Every week, Nathan Bush from eSuite and an e-commerce industry expert will share the news, research and insights that you need to know to keep you at the top of your game. And of course, keep your customers adding to cart. Hello and welcome to Add to Cart. My name is Nathan Bush, host of Add to Cart and director at e-commerce talent agency eSuite. Now, as much as I love my work and I love having these conversations every week, I do like to escape now and again. My next holiday is actually Fiji next year and I can't wait, even though I very foolishly booked it over the top of Retail Global on the Gold Coast. It's normally where we have our Ad to Cart meetup, but we've got something else in store and we will still uh, be there, at least me in spirit, the rest of the team will be there. My guest today is someone who actually knows more than most about escaping the daily grind. He took the daily deals model and merged it with travel to produce a new way to book vacations. Adam Schwab is the co-founder and the CEO of Luxury Escapes, the travel brand which you must all know, offering highly curated, easily bookable holidays with exclusive discounts and inclusions. What began in Melbourne as a small startup in 2013 now has get this, over 4.2 million global members and major offices in Australia, India, New Zealand, the US and the UK. In this chat, Adam shares why content creation is so important for luxury escapes. He shares his tips for developing enduring partnerships and he tells us where the travel market sits now after what's fair to say, a rocky few years. And now this episode, this is a bit special because we actually have our first listener question, and it's a listener who you will all know if you've been listening. It's actually one of our past guests who've lobbed in an Instagram question via voicemail DM, and I put it to Adam in the chat. So have a listen, listen out for that person. And if you want to put your question to our guest, go check out our Instagram at Addicart Show. And in there, you will see the upcoming guests in our pinned stories. Shoot me a voicemail and we'll see. We'll feature a few uh, for our upcoming guests and there's some very good guests coming up. All right, let's get into today's episode. Thanks to our partners, Shopify Plus and Paclio. Here's our conversation with Adam Schwab, co-founder and CEO of Luxury Escapes. Adam, welcome to Add to Cart. Thanks, Nathan. Great to be here. Really great to be here. Now, you've recently started your own podcast as well. So, uh, you've been on both sides of the mic. I have, especially been probably 18 months now, but, but hopefully I can emulate your success one day. No, I think you've uh, surpassed it already. How's it going for you? Give it a plug. It's called From Zero. We actually started during the pandemic. So it was slightly, and I actually wasn't, uh, that was during my mini retirement from, from Luxury Escapes. Had a bit more time then. So sort of try and get to one, maybe two apps a week, but it's, it's, it's been harder since I've been back full time. It's a slog, isn't it? It's not as easy as people think when you go, oh, I'll just start a podcast. Oh, we'll as you know, it. yeah. And especially unique podcasts. Unfortunately, the listener guys have been, been really helpful. So they've been good. But yeah, it is, it is, I think it's a quality podcast. You don't want it to be full time. So it's, uh, it's hard to do it as a bit of a side hustle. So it's been great fun and a great experience. But, but yeah, it's, it's a lot tougher being back full time. 
Absolutely. All right. Well, that full-time gig that we're talking about is, of course, as the founder and CEO of Luxury Escapes. Now, you started Luxury Escapes as a deal of the day site way back in 2013. The world's changed a lot since then, and so has Luxury Escapes. You've expanded the offering significantly, changed it a fair bit. You've got a lot of competitors in the market. How do you describe Luxury Escapes differentiator today? We've got a lot of competitors, we've got no competitors. So in a sense, we compete with every single person that sells travel, from the booking.coms, the Airbnbs, to the corner store. So anybody sells travel, sells travel, so we're competing in a way. In a sense, the podcast compete with TV, theme parks, footy, whatever, it's tame. Yep. It depends how you find your market, I guess, to, to use that sort of C parlance. But, so, but in a sense of what, we do a couple of things, but essentially we're a curated, experiential, impulse-driven travel site. So we differ from other, other travel businesses in a couple of ways. The main way is most travel businesses, and, and when you think of OTAs or online travel agents, or even my, main street travel agents, generally sell everything. So they'll, whether you go to Booking or Expedia, Booking's got every, every single hotel on earth, pretty much, anyone you want to go to. Airbnb's got every villa, Flightings has got pretty much every hotel. So generally, what most travel businesses do is, here's everything, go and buy what you want, guys, you're going to get minimal help from me, but just, just choose one. And it's the world sort of moved that way, a bit like index funds in the last few years. What we've always done, and we grew from the opposite. We grew saying, here's one or two great offers. Then it became seven or eight great offers. Then it became 40 or 50 great offers. And then the pandemic came and we were already looking to pivot the model, a bit like the Catch of the Day guys did back in 2017 mm. and Coconut in a sense as well, from sort of a highly curated to a less highly curated. We didn't want to create a paradox of choice. And we knew we're not going to be a better business than Booking.com and doing what they do. So there's no point trying to fight a Booking and Expedia, which have tens of millions of dollars of profits and as well as mm legacy as well, lots of connections, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so what we thought we can do well is what we do do well is we provide great inspiration and curation to our customers and great value. So we thought we can do that but extend it. So instead of running 40 or 50 deals to your Bali's, Thailand's, your Maldives, et cetera, we will now have product in pretty much every destination on earth. But Dubai, for example, has got 1,000 five-star hotels, 5,000 hotels. We might have 25 or 30 of them on the site. So we'll pick 25 or 30 hotels, offer great value, could be free inclusions, whatever it is, and we'll curate them for the customer. So instead of having to wade through a 1,000 hotels like on Booking.com, which can be good, can be bad, we say, here, customer, here's the 30 great properties in Dubai, and you've got some bonus, bonus inclusions to give you extra value, exclusive to luxury escapes, choose from these. Yeah. And we're doing the same thing across different verticals. So we'll have crews coming up soon, villa coming up soon. We've got tours there already, obviously hotels, flights, so and experiences. So I'm sort of called six main and six main verticals of travel. We'll cover all of them online, easily bookable, highly curated. Brilliant. And what's your process or criteria when you're curating what's included on luxury escapes? It's really a combination of quality and all relevance to the customer. So it's no point us choosing the top twenty hotels in London that all cost two thousand. Australian dollars a night because there's only a small cohort of people that can pay for that. So what we're trying to do is curate a selection of great properties across a price range and a geographic range as well. So you want to get a, a 200 quid a night place in London as you want to have a 1,000 quid a night because different people want different things. We don't want all of one or the other. So yeah. what Booking does is they have heaps of properties in every category, but they have so many that it becomes really hard to know what, what to choose. Versus what we want to do is say, well, there's 40 five-star properties in Mayfair. We'll choose two for you. And these are the two really good ones that give you bonus inclusions as well. So it's a combination. It's very manually curated. So every property that's appearing has been typically signed off by someone from Luxury Escapes and usually a seniorish person. So we tend to take the curation really seriously. And do you have people on the ground around the world doing that or is it all done centrally? There's a couple of different what we call levels of 
deals. So we've got our, our legacy deal, which we call it sort of our flash deal. So these mm-hmm. are the, the deals that run for, for two weeks at a time. And these are the really great sort of packages or offers, often 30 to 50% off value everyone else. We've got a team of, sort of 30 people, 25, 30 people that are all around the world getting these deals. And this can take a year to negotiate, it can take two years, it can take two weeks. But that these are heavily negotiated, exclusive deals. You won't find these deals anywhere else. And this could be, we've got Raffles, Maldives, for example, live on the site now for $8,999. You pay 15 grand on booking.com. So you've got a sort of selection of, call it 100 of these on the site at one time. And these are global, but really focused on where our strength is probably sort of Australia, Asia. And there's sort of heavy hitter markets in the US, UK, but, but we're really strong in, in Southeast Asia. So Bali, Thailand, Vietnam, Malaysia, Maldives, obviously Australia itself, Hawaii is pretty good for us. So there's those sort of swap and drop destinations. Part of the criteria behind that, that people can actually book these holidays on a whim without too much pre-planning if they're kind of in the backyard. 100%. So 96% of our customers who bought a hotel package were planning on going to that hotel till we told about it. So it's properties. If holidays are very homogenous. So 70%, just under 70% of customers weren't even going to the country until we told them about it. So you might think, oh, I want to go on, on a holiday to Bali. And then we send you this great Thailand deal to Ivani and Kalak. Oh, you know, that looks even better. I'm going to go there. So, because they're largely a beach holiday in Asia is substitutable between yeah. you know, Hoi An to Nusa Dua to Phuket. They're, they're largely homogenous in many ways. Some people do want to go somewhere particular, and that's why we created the marketplace. But in many cases, people just have to get a, a great package at a great hotel in a great destination, and that substitutable. So there's sort of call our flash deals. And that was what the business was based on and still is a really important part of the business. And then we created this marketplace of initially hotels and now building out other parts of the marketplace. What we've essentially done is we've got a team of sort of, I don't know, another team of sort of 10, 15 people who are signing up marketplace deals with hotels around the world. So this package is always on 24, 7, 365 days yeah. a year. So a flash deal, that's super, super duper deal to Mulia and Bali, which was, went live yesterday. That's going to be available for two weeks or even less if it sells out. Versus we've got a Mulia always on deal, not quite as fantastic a deal, still a really good deal, still better than Expedia booking everyone else, but it's only, it's about, it's available all the time. So you might get on the super duper deal that's live now, you might get extra dinners or whatever. The one you can buy all the time, you could get a slightly better price, slightly worse price, headline price, but you get maybe breakfast and two dinners. So, but it's always on. So, you know, you, I'm going to escape whenever I want and I'm going to, I'm going to get a, the best value hotel, almost any destination in the world. Whereas previously we were really pigeonholed on what we do. And we've also yeah. got this long tail bed bank third party fee, which we fill out the long tail, which is the same as sort of Expedia booking, but we will highly curate that. So instead of seeing a thousand properties in Dubai, you'll see yeah, 20 or 30, and we'll have curated that. So if you want to know you want to go to Dubai, but you're not sure where to go, you must be off coming to Lucky Escapes and booking.com because we'll tell you here's the best places. And by the way, you're also getting this extra stuff. I bet you're breathing a sigh of relief now that Black Friday is over for another year, right? Well, according to our friends at Shopify, customers, they haven't stopped looking for bargains and they are going to keep chasing them all the way through 2023 as the cost of living takes its toll. Yes, that old chestnut. But Shopify have surveyed 2,000 Australian customers and they found that three in four Australians are already reducing their discretionary spending and 84% of customers are comparing prices. With price and value such a hot point for customers, it is worth considering how you are going to continually send price messages throughout 2023 to keep your customers interested. The battle for the wallet is going to be fierce. To view more resources to help with your 2023 planning and see how Shopify can take your e-commerce business to the next level, visit shopify.com forward slash au 
today. It feels to me that this is much more of a traditional retail model business than it would be a travel or tourism kind of model where you do have a limited inventory that you can't actually stock everything, that there are promotional periods. Was that your inspiration at the start? How did you get the idea for Luxury Escapes? Uh, I can't remember the exact turn of events, but we originally had, had a daily deals business. So it stemmed from that. So the notion of daily deals is the opposite of marketplace. Marketplace, and of course, Jess Bezos really perfected this. Is yeah. When you think of it, and you, your analogy is a good one, the retail store. So retail stores have limited number of SKUs. That's why supermarkets charge for SKUs. If you want to be eye level in the cereal aisle, you're paying at supermarket X dollars. So they've got limited shelf space because there's real estate costs. What Jeff Bezos realized in 2002 is, hold on, online's got a limited, pretty much unlimited shelf space, and maybe not really, but, but virtually. Yeah. And then obviously Booking.com and Expedia and the Orbits and all those, obviously OTAs followed suit. But yeah, so our business is much more like a traditional retailer. We've got limited shelf space on our EDMs, on our, well, we'll put on our, on our destination pages. So we want to make sure we maximize that. So we're looking for the highest converting deals, the best offers, et cetera, et cetera. And we work with the best quality partners. So we know that we might have a package to a, a property like Shangri-La in Singapore that is such a great property. We don't need to discount it that much. It's basically the same prices on every other website. We want to keep a very small inclusion. Still sells really well because people really want to go there. And it's a great property and we're still better off than anyone else versus maybe a less known, maybe an independent hotel in a less known location. We need to get lots of inclusions to incentivize somebody to travel there. So. Yeah, so we sort of came up with it. Yeah, it really grew out of the, what was the daily deals model, but we really refined that model, made it much nicer. We know hotels want to be in a really lovely environment because they've got, obviously got very strong brands. So we, did, we spent a lot of effort and time and money on making sure that our partners are portrayed in the best possible light. We do lots of content, lots of video. Mm-hmm. And part of the benefit of the Electroscape campaign for a hotel partner or a tour partner is we provide this great billboard effect and we'll send tens and hundreds of thousands of visitors to their site as well as our site and really put a brand or a hotel up in lights, which, which very few do. So there's lots of good things that our model does. It's a hard model in many ways because it's a lot of work and it's a lot of cost but yeah. and it's a low margin. But, but for our partners, we can create an incredible amount of value. And did you know Gabby and Hezzy from Catch back in the day when you were starting it up? Well, they started Scoop on almost exactly the same time we started oh, wow. on deals.com.au. So they had Catch of the Day, obviously. We registered our original business, which was called Zupon, on the 14th of January, 2010. I think Gabby registered Scoopon on the 15th of January. <laughs> so it was almost that same day. They ended up at one point suing us because our name was so similar. We then obviously changed the name. And we obviously became great friends with the guys. Had a business called Eat Now Together. Became part of Menulog. And obviously they had big shareholders and luxury escapes. And Gabby sits on the board. And Hezzy is, is an advisor. So we sort of went from, not that we were ever, ever really enemies because we were always sort of too small. And they were, they were even big back then. But... Certainly, they probably consider us a bit of a gadfly. We probably copied them, yeah. <laughs> copied their US a little bit. And then, um, obviously, now great friends and, and great mentors of ours. Amazing. And I could imagine in those early days, was it hard getting travel partners involved? Because you've got a great name in the industry now, very well known. I could imagine you've got more travel partners coming to you asking to be featured. But in those early days, was it a struggle to get people to give you those great deals? People rarely ask to be featured. Well, everybody's happy to go on a market price, but we always want a better price. So that's always a bit of a negotiation. But yeah, it certainly gets like, and I'm sure you have to to, to David or Ruslan from Kogan. They'll tell you the same story. When you start, it's super hard to get anyone to come on. Like it's the odd rogue or, or the really far, like forward thinking hotel brand, but generally it's hard. And Mark, one of our early shareholders, slash our original main sort of sales negotiator. He was just amazing at going and getting great hotels, great brands, even though he had no real credibility back then. He really allowed us to get our flywheel spinning. But 
Yeah, it certainly gets easier, but it's never easy. But now if you look at the brands we work with, we've worked with everyone from sort of Rich Carlton to Rosewood to Park Hyatt to Mandarin Oriental to obviously Shangri-La to hopefully some evil working with us soon to some, some of the to Como, which we've recently signed and should go live soon. So we've got some, obviously IHG is a great partner. So we've got some incredible brand partners that we've worked with for a number of years and some that have come on more recently as other great partners have come on. So we probably work with more luxury hotel brands despite being sort of our legacy being in sort of in that, in that one space where they wouldn't work in. Now, because we've got a really curated marketplace, we curate a lot of the sort of not so nice properties as opposed to booking an Expedia who you can be next to either Styles if you're a park high. That doesn't really work, but we're launching a, a new part of the site called what we call Lux Ultra. And Lux Ultra will be super heavily curated to be two, probably 200 of the best hotels in the world. Not necessarily 200 of the best, but 200 top thousand. So you think yeah. of the ultra elite brands, ultra elite properties, generally $1,000 plus a night. Separate ring, fast, uh, ring fence part of the site. Hotels coming on there, brands coming in there know they're only going to be around other incredible hotels. There's no risk of got brand diminution. In fact, there's the reverse. You get brand halo because only great hotels. The types of likes of luxury lodges and obviously your yes. neighbors and comos and your Mandarin Orientals, et cetera. So a great suite of brands that, yeah, 10 years ago would have no chance of getting, but we've done a lot of work, a lot of work with our partners, the likes of Qantas and Singapore Airlines, the tourism boards we work with, to really ensure that we place our hotel partners in incredible light. We've got a TV show on Channel 10 that showcases the, the great luxury hotels in this world. We had a magazine which we relaunched soon. So we spent a lot of time on content curation that really no one else does because that's not mm-hmm. what their focus is. So that's allowed us to, to speak to and engage with really the best brands in the world. Yeah, amazing. If we've got people listening to this, whether they're starting their own retail businesses, they're, they're in a partnerships role, do you have any tips? You mentioned content there. Anything else that you go, look, when you are trying to develop those partnerships for the first time, this is critical? Yeah, it's tough. I think obviously you need to be able to have a really good negotiation sales skill because you've got to, have to let, ensure that your partners trust you to make sure their brand is looked after. So you've got to build that slowly and start slowly. So you, you're not going to go from zero to 100. You're not going to start working with the world's best brands in day one. I think you sort of slowly climb the ladder of luxury ladder in a way. Okay, that's what yeah. you want to do. That's the kind of business you're doing. But even do the swing of Kogan, like they didn't deal with the likes of Sony and Samsung for many years. It took them a decade plus to get to the credibility to work with big brands. So often it just comes with scale. So just yeah. keep at it. Make sure your economics are right and then gradually invest more and more as you see those economics playing out. But there's no there's no silver bullet magic beans. You see with crypto, businesses grow too fast too quickly, generally crash for a reason because there isn't a solid foundation. If you build slow, we've been around like Lush Escape 2013, but we started 2010. It's a 13-year journey. And we've still got a long way to go, but a 13-year journey to get to where we've got to. And we've still got a heap of work to do, but it's taken this long to get sort of where we are, maybe a three out of 10 so far, if you think about where our journey, where we want to get to. So there's no shortcuts. I think it's just doing the hard work, treating your brand, brand partners well, keeping your word, treating your customers really well. Uh, if you treat customers really well, they're more likely to teach you, teach, treat your client partners very well. So ultimately, we always take a really long-term view and we try and take a long-term view at every decision we make. So if we can make a quick buck or sacrifice that dollar now for a relationship in five years, we'll always do the latter. So it's, yeah. it's how do you sort of, that's a, obviously you're being founder-led and private. You know, maybe I don't have that luxury in, it, in the public markets. Yeah. You strike me as someone who's incredibly energetic and driven and a really strong vision. Is it sometimes hard to take that step back and go, no, we've got to get the foundations right rather than going at growth at all costs? Yeah. Well, it's, I'm both Jeremy and myself, but just aren't, we're bootstrap guys. So yeah, we, we're heavily growth orientated, but we're also, um, because we were never venture funded, we never spent more than we earned. So you're always tempered in how much you spend by how much cash you have in the bank or how much cash, how much profit you have coming in or cash flow you've got coming in. 
So that's very different mentality. I'm sure you speak to lots of venture back people, guy and girl founders, and that's a very different mentality. Just because if you've got 10 million bucks in your bank account and you've got no revenue, we've got to spend the 10 million to get to profitability yeah. or to get to cash flow back. But for us, we had our own money originally, which wasn't that much. We spent that, then we paid ourselves back, and then we had to invest our own profit. So till last year, we'd never raised any capital, and that was really more of a secondary raise, wasn't really primary. So we generally aren't those sort of growth in any cost kind of guys where we're very sort of measured let's grow profit as quickly as we can but not at the expense of of just bet, betting the farm on unprofitable marketing makes a lot of sense and it's really refreshing to hear now i can't believe we've got 15 20 minutes into our chat and the c word has only come up you know once or twice obviously talking about travel covid goes hand in hand I actually don't have the question for you. It's the very first time it's happened. I've got a question from one of our audience members, Natalie from Mr. Poolman, who's actually been a guest on the show before, but she sent in a question for you, for us. And if you don't mind, I'll play her question. And I think it'll be something that resonates with you. Yeah. Adam, in a nutshell, I'd be really interested to know what changes that you saw in the space itself going from COVID. So obviously no one was having luxury escapes to now after COVID, there's been a massive boom. Have you seen a difference in the actual consumer base itself and the way they're interacting with luxury escapes? Or has there been something that has really pivoted the business and you've had to made a bit, make a big change to um, provide the service, you know, in this new type of world that we're living in post-COVID. That would be my question to you because we've definitely seen that in the e-com space and I'm interested to see how that looks in the uh, luxury escapes space as well. It's a really interesting question. I think one of the great, and Natalie's like the hundredth person to sort of make this observation, is everybody thought during COVID we didn't sell a single dollar of travel and then and post-COVID you're selling a billion dollars a year when reality during COVID it was obviously during lockdowns, for example, it obviously yeah. dropped off. But we had some great months during COVID when June 2020 was a record profitability month. And so was October 2021. So had some great months. Tempered by some terrible months, obviously. But <laughs> And then post-COVID, we've obviously had a nice increased trajectory. But it hasn't been – we still haven't beaten our October 2021 month, I don't, wow. I don't think. Or maybe we did in May. But maybe once we, we beat it. But So October 21, that was when – did Melbourne just come out? Yeah, Melbourne and Sydney were coming out and Fiji opened and just went crazy. Okay, and we, gotcha. we, we outsold booking Expedia and flights and everyone, which was fantastic. But so I think the question is really interesting though, because I only speak for luxury escapes, so I can't speak very common mm-hmm. generally. But one of the things we've certainly had to struggle with post opening is we've seen our demographics change. So pre COVID, we were really strong in that 65 to 80 demo, lots of money, lots of time, no dependence. We travel once, maybe twice a year. And since COVID, there's a couple of things. One, there's still this great fear of COVID just because just of the media and because like the ABC and, and the Nine Papers, which is that's targeted that demo, have just been so created this great paranoia. That's, that's sort of one reason. And the other reason is just this, often as you get older, there's creatures of habit. So because no one, because a lot, a lot of people from 65 to 80, 85 haven't traveled for two years, they kind of just stopped doing it because they were, they were used to traveling every year. They stopped and now they're used to stopping. So there's uh. been this, this change. And it's slowly coming back, but I try and speak to as many sort of 65 plus people as I, as I can and easily 50%, possibly more, maybe 60% go, oh, I'm not traveling at the moment. We really? go, oh, maybe next year, or maybe never again. And it's probably about 30, 40% that are traveling, but it, 30, 40% is probably on the high side. It's probably less. And is that from fear of COVID itself or is that a fear of things getting cancelled or disruptions? It's probably for multiple reasons. They probably all accumulate. There's certainly people who would be scared of COVID, but I think that's probably lesser now because everybody's had it to an extent. There's definitely a portion. 
I think the second, but probably the bigger one is this fear of just the exit disruption. People think they're going to lose their bags. It's one in a thousand people's bags get lost. It's less than pre-COVID, but because there was 20 newspaper articles about it three months ago, both think all my bags are going to get lost. So there's that. And there's obviously cost. So flight costs is way up, which is sort of impacted. So it's post-COVID hasn't normalized. There's a bunch of, everybody thinks that we're back to normal better than ever. Yeah, for certain cohorts, maybe people your age, people my age are traveling, probably we're, we're selling more to them than we used to. We're selling yeah. less of the older generation, hopefully comes back in the next sort of year. But we haven't seen great speed of comeback, much slower than we expected. And we didn't expect that behavior. It kind of makes sense now I talk about it, but we didn't expect that behavior six months ago. So it's frustrating because travel is safer than ever, but there's sort of the media. The media every time there's a, someone gets COVID, it's still on front pages of Australian paper. Australian media is, is a disgrace. And their last desperate attempts to cling to relevance by what they do. So, which is pretty frustrating for us. I know Screw from Fridays has, has similar views. We've talked mm-hmm. about it. It's pretty hard to look at the media that is, and with politicians, and I think the new government's been good, but certainly the previous government was disastrous. Yeah. Uh, even now in Australia, many hotels are running at 70% occupancy. So we can't run Australian hotel campaigns because they just have nothing to sell. So we're still, and that's because Scott Morrison told people to go home. Like we're still dealing with the incompetence of the previous government. I think that the new government's been a lot better fix the passport situation. There's a bunch of stuff they've done done well, but we're still behind the eight ball. The airlines are making record profits, billion, $2 billion a year. That's coming straight out of the pockets of travelers who now won't travel. So it's pretty frustrating dealing with this paradigm when we should be flying and we're doing all right. We're profitable and certainly a lot better than pre-COVID, but we should be really flying, and it, but we're yeah. not. It's airlines that are. Yeah, it must feel like you're not in control of the narrative. There's a lot of existential stuff that's frustrating. We're certainly doing a lot better than pre-COVID. We came back nicely. You've seen that with flight and we have to get back to profitability as well. But what's frustrating is there's just a lack of confidence. And then, then you've got the overlay of the macro, which obviously everybody deals with. So it's, it's not exclusive to us in any way, but you've got the got interstate wobbles and strain dollars, all this kind of stuff that makes travel harder as well. So, so dealing with those headwinds, that, to, to Natalie's question, that nothing's ever as bad as it seems, nothing's ever as good as it seems. So probably in the, in the latter now, well, it definitely wasn't as bad as everybody said during COVID, probably not as good as, it, as people think it is now. We're somewhere in the middle. Overall, the business is, is relatively healthy, but we certainly want to be doing better. And it's frustrating in terms of how we change. And we just launched our first or opened our first retail pop-up store, which will become our permanent store in a few months' time in Chadston. So that's been so far it's open. We haven't really told many people about it, but it's been really good. So people walking in, buying, transacting. So we think we can do pretty well from retail, but it's a big learning curve for us. What did Screw think when you said that you're opening up your first retail store? He actually sent me a message saying it's about time. I think it was that effect. So which is great. He's also a great guy. And, and clearly we're, we're a fraction of, of Flighty. So... They went, I doubt we're someone they worry about too much. But even them, us to them, is we consider our, our big channels growth US, UK and, and yep. Singapore, Hong Kong. We don't really consider sort of the flights into markets, be it corporate, be it sort of Australian leisure. They're obviously good. The markets we may, corporate may go to one day and then obviously leisure is a market we're in. But our big growth is going to come out of US, UK, less so as a leisure market, less so sort of Australia. So our bigger competition really is a bookings and expedies as well in terms of how do we get to that next level. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Now, I read that you're, and you just said it before, actually, is that you're expecting $1 billion in sales. So that's a big number, right? In 2023 financial year. When it comes to e-commerce, so literally transacting a billion dollars through a website, and I'm assuming most of it comes through the website, what's the biggest challenge for you in making sure that that transacts in a, in a really seamless, reliable way? We probably won't hit the billion just for the reason that, that billion was done, that forecast probably six months ago and just shoot those yep. headwinds. We thought we'd get there. So we'll, we'll be between somewhere between 700 and a billion, I yeah. suspect, and probably close to 700, but which is still a decent amount and, and certainly a lot more pre-COVID. We were sort of below 500. So it's certainly a lot bigger than yeah. pre-COVID. 
which is good, but but we certainly have a lot of work to do to get to the billion and to get to the two plus. But we spend a lot of time on the customer experience, on the, on the UX, UI experience. Uh, we've got a big phone team. So, yeah, not everything's transacted over the internet. People do call up. Now we've got a yeah. in-store team. So we want to be omni. We don't think online only is necessarily the way of the future. We think an omni experience is, is a good one, especially for travel. We're never going to open 700 stores like, like Flighty's. Or we think there can be a sort of concept store per city, potentially, if we can get it right. So we'll see how that goes. But And we need to expand our, our call center into the scale with the business. So we have a big focus on customer service generally. We probably over-invest, over-indexing customer service, both pre- and post-sale. MPS of about 70, give or take, mm-hmm. 69, not 71. But it tends to sort of really oscillate around that 70 mark. Best reviews, probably one of the best reviews in the world in terms of travel, certainly in terms of travel sellers that you might get the odd tour operator that's higher, but in terms of travel sellers, in terms of Trustpilot and product review, we're pretty much number one, number two, number three in our, in our sort of section out of thousands of sort of sites. So we do spend a lot, invest a lot in customer service. We want customers to have a great experience. Travel is inherently a risky purchase. It's obviously expensive and it's also overseas. You're relying on third parties to, to fulfill. So there's a bunch of sort of difficulties around travel that we need to make sure we get right, but we think we get it right 97, 98 of the time with customers. There's, there's obviously times where we, we don't get it perfectly right, but I think in most cases, our customer service seems super empathetic, really takes the time to understand the issue. Tend to be sort of, if we have an Australian customer, we want an Australian customer service person to help with them. If it's New Zealand, it's New Zealand. If it's India, it's India. If it's US, it's US. We try and match up the yeah. culture. So obviously that comes at more of a cost, but it's also a much better customer experience. And with an NPS of 70 and a focus on customer service, how do you get the voice of the customer from your team on the phones, on the emails, on the live chat and filter that through to you and your leadership team so you can make decisions based on what customers are saying? Yeah, it's probably something we don't do as well as we used to. As you Obviously, as you get bigger, when I was doing customer service for four or five years, you're speaking to customers, you can tell more clearly, but our head of contact center directly reports to me. So we have a pretty close line. I'm, I'm, we get a sort of weekly report on, on customer insights. We see all the reviews, that come, every review that comes through, positive or negative, I see on public sites. So we've got pretty good exposure to that sort of stuff. It's the kind of thing we probably can't get to. There's no such thing as being too close to a customer. The more customers we speak to, I'm always trying to ask our customers when I see them for feedback. We have various different types of engagement events in person, be it LE on tour, be it platinum events. So there's a bunch of stuff we do with our customers. And ultimately, you're beholden to your customer. As a CEO, your boss is the customer. Obviously, your boss is the chairman as well, but your boss essentially is our customers. And if our customers aren't being treated well, they'll, they'll tell us pretty quickly. Yeah, I love that philosophy. And in terms of talking to your customer, have you found that the ways to acquire customers, especially new customers, has that changed significantly since COVID? What are your channels that are really standing out for you at the moment? Channels pre and post haven't changed that much. So digital was always the major channel pre-COVID. It's remained so that it's probably dropped off a little bit in some parts, but but SEM still remains dominant. Social's obviously dropped off as, as with, the, with the Apple privacy changes, but, but Facebook's still partly relevant. Our affiliate program continues to grow. We've hired a, recently hired a head of influencers. So we're investing more in certain types of more partnership marketing. And in terms of the off, above the line, from TV show to newspapers to radio to podcast, that mix hasn't really changed that much. And that's not yeah. novel. Everyone can see where we are. We always try to be experimental, a bit more sponsorship, that, that sort of stuff. But we still tend to be, we're highly attributable. We want it. And QR codes are really help there because QR codes are the great attributor. In, in the underlying media. So we can certainly tell which, which newspapers perform better and worse and how much how many sessions the lead leads to and how many purchases and all that kind of stuff. So when our media to be highly attributable, that hasn't changed. COVID hasn't impacted that that much. And our media spend is, is pretty consistent in terms of percentage of revenue as well, pre yeah. post. And do you hold those traditional media channels 
accountable for some of the results that you're now seeing through QR codes that I, I guess a lot of advertisers are just kind of saying, oh, newspaper, TV, the rest. We just don't know. We, we know they work yeah. at some level, but we... <laughs> yeah, that's, I think the bootstrapness of our business means we've never really trusted that. So we, we, we tend to be highly sceptical. We've done TV stuff in the past. We've tried to do our best to attribute it through, this is pre-QR codes, but through sort of timeline, through sort of analytics and, and that sort of mm. stuff. But I'm more sceptical that it works particularly well. Radio is obviously really hard. Out of home is pretty much impossible. It's what I want to tell you. Podcast obviously more attributable because you can use a code usually. Newspapers much more because of QR codes. So we'll always urge to an attributable form of media than a non-attributable if we can. That's just typical online. I'm sure everybody you speak to has a yeah. similar viewpoint. But yeah, I'm certainly leaning more towards doing stuff that is a bit different though in terms of us. So it's a little bit more sponsorship, partnership, influencer. So still hopefully attributable, but a bit, just a bit different because ultimately your channels change from year to year. And is that leaning more into your content strategy rather than just throwing ads up there? It's like partnering with people who can create content and create value for your customers yeah. first and foremost. Yeah, exactly. And us creating our own content as well and getting it sponsored. Like TV shows, classic examples. So we produce a TV show. It's on Channel 10. Or oh, yeah, this year on Channel, last four years on Channel 10. Great partners. And we'll produce the show. We'll get the corporate backers and the sponsors and we'll cover a chunk, not all the costs, but a chunk of that cost. We'll cover a chunk of the costs and it goes live as a great branding partnership and way, great way to engage customers. And it, it, Five, seven percent of customers who have watched the show buy. So we actually get a, a pretty good chunk of customers from there. Great to work with, to put our partners in, in lights and, and obviously great to have corporate sponsors who we can give great value to. You've refreshed your website. The new range is about to drop. You've never had more customer service options. Hey, but take a look over there at that boring pile of packaging boxes. Ugh, ugly time to give that some love. Luckily, Packlio is here to bring some joy to your customer's delivery and unboxing experience. It's been ignored for way too long. With vibrant colors, cool designs, and eco-friendly credentials, there are no more excuses for boring boxes. Even better, Packlio is Australian-owned and operated with same-day dispatch and 14-day returns. There's nothing boring about that. Check out the Packlio range of e-commerce packaging options at packlio.com. That's Paclio, P-A-C-K-L-E-O, Paclio.com. What about from photography aspect of your hotels and your partners on the website? In the traditional e-commerce business, obviously product photography is key and a lot of people have style guides and it's kind of just go through the steps because we've got all the products. You're in a different situation where Mm. are you relying on great content from your partners or do you go out and reshoot it? Uh, a bit of both. We try and reshoot as much as we can. We certainly try and reshoot the videos as much as we can. We've got a yeah. media team, a video team, a photography team. Sometimes you just can't get there. If it's a remote Maldives island, it's hard to send someone to remote Maldives island for 20 grand. Like, so sometimes it can't be done. But a few people put their hands up. A few would. A few would. It's hard work, actually. But <laughs> if we can take, we've got teams around the world. So we, certainly in Asia, we, we try and take our own photography and, and video especially. But we know sometimes you can't get to it. And looking at the site, you wouldn't know because I think you've got curated partners, but it also feels curated content as well. The content is often very curated. Often it's yeah. just that. We take the images ourselves. We certainly do the video ourselves. The videos you see, you wouldn't see anywhere else. Yeah, so yeah. We've got two or three absolute gun videographers, video editors who put them together and do an incredible job. So we do invest a lot in content. It's great for conversion. It's great for our partners. We don't always get a return on that, but, yep. but we know it's, it's great for our partners to have this great, great video content as well yeah from a technology side your website isn't the standard e-commerce site 
obviously not off the shelf. What's your approach to technology for luxury escapes? Yeah, we've got our own tech stack that we build, which you sort of have to. So it's it's been built. We, we built our new platform in 2017, obviously microservices, and, and continue to evolve it as we went to Marketplace. It was a, not a rebuild, but we have to do a lot of work around that to, to allow Marketplace to, to happen. We have to facilitate a lot of connections via what we call channel managers, which allows mm-hmm. an OTA to connect to a property. So you're probably going to SiteMinder, Sonexus is another one, DarbySoft is another one. So we use those partners to connect to the hotels and there's a bunch of work that goes. And the same with cruises, tours, so there's a whole bunch of sort of connections we're building out or have built out and that's a big part of what we do. So we've got a, a supply team that works on all the stuff, getting the stuff live on the site and a demand team working on great tools like Trip Planner, which is our trip itinerary tool and our marketing staff and, and all sorts of stuff. So we've got decent-sized um, development team now. It's 125 across oh, wow. the world. So it's certainly grown a lot over the last it was 30 pre-COVID. Yeah. Do you use anything off the shelf or build everything from scratch? We use heaps of third-party products within yeah. the platform, but but generally the platform itself is all built from scratch. Yeah, gotcha. And I saw recently that you bought into a B2B platform, pay.com.au. No doubt you've had a lot of experience with payment, luxury escapes, especially international payments and multiple currencies. What was the reasoning of getting into into that? Yeah, I think it's just a person that's an Adam Schwab investment, not a luxury yeah. escapes investment. And and I have known Ed, the CEO and founder for, for a number of years. He ran Point Tax, XI Select. We work with the Point Tax guys as a media partner and sort of mentioned the pay business. I thought it sounds like a good business and Ed's a super entrepreneur. So more I tend to back founders now rather than sort of businesses. Obviously you want to make sure the business isn't stupid, but generally if it's a, if there's a good founder, they'll probably pivot five times eventually anyway. So what we're looking for is really good, gritty, smart founders. Ed ticks every box. He's an incredible guy and had no real sort of worries about that business. Done really well valuation-wise. I'm sure we can get to grow because he's a great product. What do you look for in a gritty, smart founder? Like what's the giveaway that, that they've got what you need? There's probably no dead giveaway. You can sort of tell by what someone's done, their attitude, mm-hmm. speaking to them. It's a bit like what's that Louis Brandis, the US Supreme Court judge, talking about in pornography and he says, oh, I know it when I see it. So <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit the same with a founder. You sort of know it when they – and ultimately, that's for so many VCs that founders become VCs. They sort of have – you can absolutely tell great founders. Sometimes you get it wrong, but they have more – and finally, I've picked this main investment based on a business or maybe I was less confident about a founder more in the business. They almost always go badly. Yeah. When you pick a sort of great founder, male or female, whatever – Young, or older, young, they, they always will always find a way. Yeah, and I suppose too, if you show that faith in them, especially you know from the early stages where they might not have the full idea fleshed out, then you've got that partnership going forward. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You've written your fair share of business articles, and I've really enjoyed your comments on on the media before having written in the media for the likes of Smart Company and Crikey. Of all the businesses that you've now dived into, the, the chats that you're continually having with business leaders, both for Luxury Escapes and your investments and also on the podcast, who do you look up to in Australian business? Where do you get your inspiration from? I think of some, some the great sort of operators that I know that I've been lucky enough to be friends with. So David Schaefer from, from Kogan's an incredible operator. You know, Leffler, who's on my board, incredible operator. Number of great businesses. Gabby and Hezzy, as I mentioned before, yeah. great operators. Yeah, there's quite a few people who have done it before, done a great job, super humble. Blake, who used to work for me, now runs Flipper, great operator. There's lots of super talented people out there. I don't want to name too many names. I'm sure there are people out. But yeah, there's a lot of people out there who, who just do, who've done an incredible job building businesses. In Australia, it's a tough market. So if you can build a business in Australia, the competitive market what you have against some international incumbents, you're generally pretty good. So 
yeah, there isn't sort of one or two specifically I look to. Obviously, everybody loves Warren Buffett, so it's <laughs> ridiculous. But I tend to be a bit contrarian, so Jeremy as well, in sort of everything we look at. So the big VCs, you may have lots of big cash behind them, don't always have that much dislike them, but I sort of question that wisdom sometimes. Great venture capitalists often someone who, who's a great salesperson in terms of raising money and selling the business, not necessarily invest in terms of investing. It's a different, sometimes people mistake the skill sets of VCs. It's, VCs are really good investors. They're generally good fundraisers. They get the biggest <laughs> portfolio and spend it. But yeah, we tend to be very contrarian. I've written a lot about Atlassian. Obviously, those guys have done well, but sometimes you can look past the bluster and the business isn't always as good as what everybody thinks. I think the Canva guys done an incredible job on the, on the flip side. So I think that Mel and Cliff have done an unbelievable job building that business and a great product and a product that's got, I think, lots of room to grow still. So there is some, some great operators in Australia and we've had some, some great success on, on success on the international stage as well. Yeah, brilliant. And it sounds like you've got a great network of operators around you. I think Melbourne especially. I don't know as, as many people in Sydney, but I think the Melbourne network is, is pretty good. Certainly the Melbourne e-commerce marketplace network is, is pretty good. So everybody seems to work between South Melbourne and Richmond, pretty yeah. much maybe at Collingwood. So it's in sort of those three three yeah. areas. So it's a pretty tight-knit community and lots of people have done really well for Melbourne, especially in the e-commerce marketplace space. And even the likes of Mandato and Coles and China are up in Darwin now, but done an incredible job. So you've got Sportsman down here, which is an incredible operator. You've got some, some really great business. I think Melbourne is the home of e-commerce marketplaces by a long way in Australia. And Sydney is, is great at other stuff, but a bit more better at software as well as stuff. But Melbourne, certainly in terms of commerce, e-commerce, in terms of your business and your podcast, it's very much with it. I can't think of many successful businesses out of Sydney that have, that have done particularly well, whereas you can think of a bunch in Melbourne. Throwing the gauntlet out there. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we better let you go, Adam. It's, it's been a brilliant chat. I've loved it. I can't let you go without asking your tips. When you're traveling, what do you look for in a great hotel room? How do you know what's good from what's rubbish? I've got a couple of young kids now, so so I tend to be booking a different type of place. But um, yeah, there's so many great review sites now. Whether you, you book them, either way, you book them a booking or Expedia, or obviously a luxury escapes, so you can sort of tell there should be enough between the TripAdvisors and the site you're booking from or other sites. There's, there's so much information out there. Look at sort of impartial articles as well is always a really good one. And speak to friends and family, people who have traveled. There's no better way to get information than somebody who's actually been there. So and a lot of Luxury Escapes growth has been really referral-based. So we've grown over the last 10 years just because because someone's told someone who's told someone who's told someone because it's ultimately it was often people thought we were too good to be true. And then when somebody goes, your best mate goes, and actually I went to Luxury Escapes, it's the best trip of my life. That's a pretty good way to encourage someone to yeah. go because they've heard it firsthand. So. And we've got most travel agents have, be us or, or anyone, have, we have people on the phone that if you don't know where to go, people can call us and say, Adam, luxury escapes rep, where's good to go in Bali? And we'll know. Because a place that's great for a 25 year old couple is very different to a family of yes. six who's 50 and kids and very different to a, a 75 year old couple. So you sort of need to match the destination with who's traveling and how much the budget is. And there's a bunch of different factors that influence. So get as much info as you can from the right source. Without overwhelming yourself. I love it. Exactly about overwhelming. All right. Now you've given us a few things on what's coming up next for Luxury Escapes. We talked about the pop-up stores. We've talked about marketplaces. What are you most excited about for the next, say, 12 months? I'm really excited about Trip Planner, which is a product we've built, which we're releasing any day now. It's actually been released to, if people contact our contact center, we're building trips for you on Trip Planner. But it's a way to create an itinerary dynamically. So say you want to go to Europe, we can put the 10 stops, your, your flights to London, your stay in your hotel in London, your, your experiences while you're there, then your flight to Barcelona, what you're doing in Barcelona, maybe doing a tour or a cruise, that all goes in. It's all dynamic. So you can change things really easily. You can add things. It's a day-by-day view. So yeah. I actually built a trip myself and I realized I 
did a bunch of stuff up in my flight bookings. So I had to change them. So without trip planning, that wouldn't have, I would have got there and realized the date was wrong or, yeah. or had a massive cost. So it allows you to organize the trip a lot better and obviously buy really easily. Then we're going to move on to new iterations where we start suggesting, we already are, start suggesting great experiences in London, great cool. experiences in, in Madrid, great stuff to do. And here's how you tra- transfer between cities and here's how you buy your flights and, here's how you, and you can buy your own flights and easily type it in or you can buy on us because it's all, all the one sort of closed platform. So pretty excited about about that. I think it's just be a great customer experience that even yeah. if we don't make much money from it, that's sort of in a way secondary. It's how do we create a great experience for our customers that, that no one else in the world is doing. I reckon it is exciting, much better than putting your trip together in a dirty word document or a yeah, spreadsheet. Exactly, or Excel spreadsheet, which is yeah. what I always use. <laughs> Adam, obviously we you've got the podcast from zero. How else can people get in touch and, and stay up to date with what you and the team at Luxury Escapes are doing? I was LinkedIn and Twitter are probably the two most common socials we use. Obviously, we're pretty big on Insta as well, but hit me up on LinkedIn, on Twitter. Always sort of happy to have have a yard. Twitter's a fun place at the moment, isn't it? It's all happening on there. (laughs) Adam, thank you so much for joining us on Add to Cart. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. That new store that Adam spoke about, it's now live at Chadston, and it's great to see an online brand come to life. feels like we've had a few of those this year, keeping uh, the Westfield share price going up. Good on you, online brands, really helping those shopping malls. Uh, And how good was it hearing Nat's question? Love having those questions come from you. So again, if you want to lob your questions in for upcoming guests, and you can see the upcoming guests, go add them uh, over on our Instagram, add to cart show. Shoot me a voice DM. Love to hear from you. All right, three lessons from our conversation with Adam. Number one, content for dreaming. Now, Adam knows there is a massive, massive disconnect between the computer screen and a holiday. I think we're all feeling that, right? They are at the polar opposite ends of what you'd like to be doing. But when it comes to curation, he and the team focus on content as well as product. It's no good getting one right without the other if you want to sell the dream. And I don't think this is unique to selling holidays either. So don't spend all your time curating product if you're not also curating content. Number two, QR codes for attribution. It's fair to say that Adam is a bit of a media skeptic, but that doesn't stop Luxury Escapes from advertising with them. But he wants them to be held accountable. So Luxury Escapes are using QR codes across all physical media to measure the impact on sales. Sure, it's not going to be perfect, but it'll be better to have your own attribution than rely on what media outlets are telling you. Think about where your brand is in a physical sense and think of whether QR codes can give you the data that you need to connect the experiences. Number three, sandbagging the walls. I loved Nat's question about COVID. And if I'm honest, Adam's response did surprise me. I was expecting more COVID pain, but they actually had their biggest month in there and it's still their record month. There was no doubt low moments, but the perspective from Adam, and it came through the whole conversation, was that he's in it for the long game. In Adam's words, if we can make a quick buck or sacrifice a dollar now for a relationship in five years, we'll do the latter. And I love that. And here he is on the other side of what many said was going to be the end for many travel, and it's because he put the customer in the middle of it all. To get the highlights of today's episode, head on over to addtocart.com.au and sign up for our free newsletter. Each Tuesday, we will send Monday's episode summary, links, and discount codes for you to go next level on. And if you're looking to explore your next e-commerce opportunity, come and visit us at eSuite. We're a dedicated e-commerce talent agency connecting the best e-commerce talent with the fastest growing brands in Australia. 
head on over to esuitetalent.com.au where you can download the free e-commerce salary guide and sign up to our weekly e-commerce job emails. Thanks for listening. And until next time, keep those customers adding to cart.